You're listening to a podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference. The seventh annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2017. The conference was generously supported by the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies at NUI Galway, the School of Humanities at NUI Galway, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Disciplines of History and English at NUI Galway, the Women's History Association of Ireland and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Damien Shields entitled The Irish Battlefields Project. Many thanks for the invitation to speak. It's been a while. I spend a lot of my time in 19th century America these days, um, so it's nice to get back to 16th and 17th century archaeology. Um, for any of you who don't know what I do, I'm a battlefield or conflict archaeologist, so I spend a lot of my time looking at what is probably, along with uh, anything that postdates 1700 in Ireland, the most neglected archaeological field in the country. And I'm going to talk about a different type of visualisation to what we saw um, in the last talk, the visualisation I'm going to be talking about is visualisation that we were trying to achieve in order to protect sites. So it was in order so that these sites could go into the planning process and be considered as archaeological sites. And that was the foundations of the Battlefields Project. I know there's been some um, elements of the project discussed at previous conferences. John here was working on it, but I'm going to specifically talk about the archaeological aspect of it. I'm going to give you, at the start, a kind of a brief introduction to what conflict and battlefield archaeology is and what it can tell us about different aspects um, of the past, what it can tell historians as well, as archaeologists, um, and then have a look at how the Battlefields Project ran and its scale and scope. The Battlefields Project is the biggest project of its type that's ever been undertaken, I believe, anywhere in the world of this type, um, and it's certainly the biggest amalgamation of historical and archaeological information on Irish military battlefields that's ever been, um, ever been achieved. I'm going to then have a look at what trying to visualise and place these type of battlefields on the landscape actually does and what it can tell us. And hopefully, if I have time, finish up by giving you a specific example in relation to a project that I've run in Kinsale for the last 16 years, depressingly long, um, called the Kinsale Battlefield Project, relating to the 1601 siege. But the Battlefield Project, to give you um, a bit of background to it, was instigated by the Department of the Environment, Heritage and Local Government in 2007. And it was instigated against the backdrop of an increased awareness in Europe of the value of battlefield archaeology, uh, particularly driven out of the United Kingdom, uh, England and Scotland. Um, and so it was decided then, Minister Dick Roach was the first. Uh, you nearly forget that these ministers existed so long ago. Um, <laughs> Minister John Gormley um, gave this quote. He was his successor that said what, what the vision um, and the outcome was to be. But it was to assist in identifying the appropriate protection for Irish battlefields. Fundamentally, what it was supposed to do was draw together everything that was known historically about the site um, and do a narrative of it. We'll have a look at that information. And then to try and map them, physically map them on a map current contemporary map so that you could draw a line around them, which is what's necessary if you want anything to be put into the planning process and be considered, right? Um, 
It was massively ambitious in scope, significantly more ambitious than anything that was attempted in England and Scotland, which has pros and cons. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it was restricted as well between the 8th and the 18th centuries. So nothing beyond 1798, which I, I think was, is a flaw. You may ask, why, why in the name of God would you want to be doing any of this in the first place? Right? So it's, to give you a bit of a background into what battlefield archaeology is, where it came from, uh, and what it can tell us, you have to go back to this site. Anybody recognise where this is? Exactly, yeah. This is the Little Bighorn, Custer's Last Stand. And this was the first site to be explored with, if you like, modern techniques almost 40 years ago by a guy called Dr. Doug Scott. Uh, and this is all actually down to, this is, battlefield archaeology probably wouldn't exist as it does now if it wasn't for smoking. Uh, somebody was smoking a cigarette out here uh, in the late 1970s, threw their cigarette into the prairie grass. It caught and set fire to the whole place and burnt off this really thick prairie grass which allowed Doug Scott and his team to come in and do systematic metal detection across the site for the first time. And what they revealed was quite incredible. Was Doug Scott the smoker? I, I'm not sure he might have been. He denies all knowledge of it now. Yeah. But uh, what they found was that they were able to trace the 7th Cavalry. Uh, people often say that there were no survivors of the Little Bighorn, but of course there were. There was quite a lot of Native Americans who survived it. Um, but they, 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 the seventh, the seventh cavalry positions could be mapped all across this landscape, and he developed techniques that actually there's still PhDs being carried out on, on on the work that they've been doing here. But things, for example, like the individual signature of bullets allowed you to trace individual troopers across the battlefield. He gave a keynote address recently about another site at the Rosebud, where they found the bullets fired from the same gun by the same soldier, presumably as at the Little Bighorn, and so. Elements that weren't available to us from the historical source of a battle fought in 1876 were revealed through the archaeology. All right? uh, it's taken place in Ireland as well. I'm just going to briefly talk about a couple of examples in relation to, to my own work. Um, this is Kinsale, so I might try and come back to that a little later. But for a closer example, uh, if any of you drove from the, to get here from Dublin, you would have come along the M6 uh, roadway and you would have driven over a portion of the Ockram battlefield from 1691, the bloodiest battle in Irish history. Um, when that work was being done, there was a lot of controversy about that being clipping that side of the battlefield. But the area where the metal detection took place was outside the core battlefield area, what you would regard as the heart of the Ockram battlefield. And they found a very small number of objects. These were the only projectiles they found. But because the way they were recovered was archaeologically sound, because we knew exactly where they were, um, in relation to the battlefield and because we could look at the historical sources we were able to build a narrative of the likely deposition of this material uh, I won't go into it, it's, it's published um, but what's important about this it's not in the main front line but what you have here on the left hand side is a piece of a grenade that a grenadier would have carried uh, grenades are never thrown really in this part of a battlefield they'll be on the front line of very very dangerous objects so the fact that this was found here is really unusual. Um, some of the bullets, you'll notice on the top, in the middle, there's a kind of a, 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 what we call a slug. It's a, a spherical lead ball that's been hammered into that shape so that you can fit a heavier calibre ball into a smaller gun. And indications are that that type of bullet was used by cavalry to try and pack more of a punch in close quarter fighting. We found another few bits and pieces like um, gun money and everything, but we were able to build a narrative that almost certainly, when you combine it with the history, suggests that this is part of the route of the Jacobites, where they are being ridden down, fleeing Jacobites are being ridden down by 
um, a Williamite uh, mounted troopers. You have guys desperately trying to escape by throwing grenades in an area where they wouldn't have been throwing them. There would have been no reason for them to be doing it there. Uh, and then other detritus of battle, which is suggestive of body stripping post-battle. And we know from, say, George Story's account that they were shattered up and down the country like a great flock of sheep. It builds you a personal narrative of individuals in that battlefield, you know, when you, when you, when you can um, locate these things archaeologically. Um, another one that I worked on was uh, Carrick Mines Castle, which we excavated a mass grave on. It's the only, it's a somewhat controversial site, that's still the only um, well-studied mass grave relating to a military event in Ireland. And they all died on the 27th of March, 27th of March, 1642. An analysis of that material showed men, women and children. Um, They were buried in a pit there, all different directions. But because we analysed that material carefully, you can tell a number of things. Like, we can tell that these people died in hot blood, not in cold blood. They were not summarily executed. These people were killed in a rush because we had one who was shot. We have another who's bludgeoned with a, a blunt force um, um, object, probably the butt end of a musket, um, a club musket, and we have others who, who experienced sharp force trauma. Some probably went on their knees or running away. All of that is suggestive of killing that is not carried out in a cool, controlled fashion. Um, so immediately that's given us a, a very personal insight into these people, and some of them had coins stitched into their clothes and keys and things, so very emotive stuff. Um, so there's a, 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 an extreme value to this. Apart from the personal, battlefields can completely alter how we see certain events. Again, a later example would be Isan Dwana um, from the Anglo-Zulu Wars, where the archaeology showed the reason that the British were, were annihilated at that battle, which I won't go into. But, um, that, you know, for very recent battles, even, it can teach us a lot. <coughs> but to talk specifically then about the project, um, it was set up by the... Department of the Environment. An advisory panel was, was uh, appointed. It included actually two people from this parish, uh, Dr. Paul Glenahan, Dr. Kieran O'Connor, an archaeologist and historian. A fairly large panel, um, uh, advisory panel uh, was brought on board. And their main job was to develop criteria for a battlefield, what constituted a battlefield. So what was it that we would be going looking for uh, in order to draw a line around it? Rubicon, who I work with, the archaeologists, and Eniklan, the historical consultants, were appointed um, to undertake the project then. We actually finished the vast bulk of it in 2010, um, but we've only had substantive agreed sign-off as of about uh, six weeks ago um, of, of the majority of it. Um, but most of, the, most of the work was completed in 2010. Um, for those of you interested in what, what was deemed to constitute a battle and battlefield by the advisory panel, this was the definition of battle. So these are the parameters we had to work with. So, a significant military engagement that excluded sieges and urban warfare. Problems with this too, but uh, I'll, I'll mention one later. Um, uh, which took place before 1800 and which involved in the order of 1,000 or more combatants, right? Um, less if they were deemed to have historical um, significance or other forms of significance could be included. So, that constituted a battle. So this is in order for us to not have, you know, two guys fighting on Shop Street after a few too many pints in as a, a site that we would want to have. Um, so that was the base parameter for battle. Battlefield then, this is what was deemed mappable. These were the ones that we were to go and, and, and look to map. Um, so it had to be identifiable and definable. Um, so you had to take, be able to take the historical sources and locate these sites on the ground. Uh, 
the extent determined as the outer limit of the area within which the majority of the fighting took place and include any directly related sites intrinsically linked with the conduct, command or direction of the battle. All right. As I mentioned, there are parallels to this work that have been carried out in, in the UK. It's gone crazy, battlefield and conflict archaeology, virtually everywhere except in Ireland. I don't understand it. Um, I've been kind of hammering along at this for a long, long time, and we should be doing a lot more work on it, and there should be more work coming out of universities and things on it, I think. It's, it's, there's mass potential here. We have sites of, of international significance. Um, but it, Scotland carried out a survey... It's interesting to note the numbers here, right? They, they targeted 35, uh, I think they're up to 39 now, of what they deemed to be their most historically significant sites. Um, and they uh, did a fairly, um, a fairly detailed review of those and, and then sought to map them. But it, it, was, it was small enough numbers. Historic England um, have done the same, and they have 46 battlefields. I was a part of a, a group that helped them um, in terms of the advice. Uh, particularly in England... Although all this work is done, it's still not really clear where these battlefields sit within the planning process, which is unfortunately a similar um, problem that we have. The baseline work that we had to carry out was uh, the advisory panel drew up a list of 130 potential battlefields that we had to examine. Um, then there were 36 that were recorded as battlefields on the Archaeological Survey of Ireland that we also had to examine. And then we had to research for any potential additional sites that weren't included in that list. Uh, these are significant amounts of work. Um, we ended up producing, in the end, something in the region, I think, of around 230 separate reports on sites. So you can see the scope of this in relation um, to what was conducted elsewhere. Um, and we, we obviously had a limited time on each of them. Um, but we excluded 50 sites. Um, we won't go, but the important figures are there are 81 sites which we said were battles, but that we wouldn't, couldn't identify and there were 75 that were battles that we felt you could try and map, which then got termed battlefields. All right, so there was there's 75 mapped sites, if you like. Um, and uh, I should mention as well, of course, completely ahistorically, uh, this only was for the Republic of Ireland, uh, so not Northern Ireland. Um, but um, this is a distribution map, more or less, of the maps, and every county bar one has, has battles in it. Nobody seemed to get into any trouble in Leitrim. <laughs> Lots of people marched back and forth across it to fight, but there was none, none that was no, no locatable battlefields um, in County Leitrim that, we could, we, that, that fitted the project criteria. Um, one of the other areas where this project differed from, from um, those carried out elsewhere was in the, in the sheer scope of the reporting um, that, that, that was required, and that mainly fell on the historians and John, who did a lot of work. Um, these are all the different elements that had to have sections in it. Um, so effectively, the, the battles, battle accounts were to be the definitive account um, that has been produced. Um, so things like political significance had to be discussed, military significance, biographical, um, the bibliography of everything that's been uh, primary and secondary that's ever been written that, that relates to it. Um, uh, there are contemporary things that I'd be talking more about. The main one is the descriptive account, though. A descriptive account... Uh, that gave the historical information, and then the mapping, which was the main archaeological component. From a kind of a, an archaeological issue, we were doing things like the terrain and landscape settings, so visiting all these sites. Was there any known archaeology from the sites? What were the threats to the battlefield? So looking at things like planning um, and things like that. 
management issues, um, potential for future research, etc., etc. Okay, so these are the maps. These are all produced in GIS. Um, they're functional maps. They're not intended for wide uh, publication. This is Ockram, seeing as where we are. So it's not intended to be showing exact frontages or, or anything like that. What it is intended is to just show a general line. So this is Kilcommonan Hill here, the area with the blue stripe in the Jacobite camp, big area of archaeological potential. The Williamites roughly are in the three um, red areas pushing across the bog, and then you have the flight uh, and it's kind of the top arrow is where they're flying towards the M6, where that material is found. Uh, we put it on a range of different mappings, so this is the contemporary mapping so that you can, you can see it. Uh, but the most important product of all, if you like, uh, is, the, is the next one, which will be very difficult, I imagine, for you to see, but it's a line that's drawn around the site. You see this red line that encompasses it all. And that is the area we deemed to be of archaeological potential where within that area, uh, there is likely to be archaeology relating to that battle. Okay. I want to move on uh, to talk about how we would do, do a map like that, what we would do. So um, we were using the historians from an archaeological perspective. They were doing the reports, which are very good. But what we wanted was primary accounts. You can't go about looking to map a battle off the back of secondary accounts, really. It's just not possible. Um, and so we are looking for what I call location indicators. They're often not the same things that historians would look for in a report. We're looking for specific things that allow you to orientate um, troops or armies in the landscape. So things that they're saying, like, we marched across two streams, or we marched a mile here, or we went up this hill, or whatever, right? Uh, so this is how we would do it. We would review the primary account seeking these location indicators, uh, look an awful lot at modern cartography, so effectively death-based research um, at the outset. You need to have some knowledge of how these type of formations moved in any particular time. Um, look then to see if there's any contemporary cartography or mapping. Uh, for example, from the period we're discussing here, the Tudors were great at producing um, maps of different battles, etc. They seem to have just not bothered at all in the 1640s. Uh, and then there's a big one on the Williamites. That's a bit of a generalisation, but in terms of, of what you might call accurate, the Elizabethans were by far the best at that. Uh, and then you need to walk, walk the, the ground, so good walking shoes, and, and, and understanding of the terrain is absolutely vital. Um, we also look at these places as, as landscapes. We're not looking at them... Um, we're looking at them from an archaeological perspective as archaeological landscapes. So they're not just the area where people are fighting. They can include the, they'll include the field, but encampments, approach routes, retreat routes, buildings, archaeological monuments. For example, the English at Kinsale in 1601 used pre-existing early medieval archaeological monuments um, during their siege. This is absolutely gorgeous here. It relates to the Battle of Clockley in 1643, otherwise known as Manning Ford. Uh, widely regarded as the only significant, well, if it was significant, the only land's victory of the Confederate Army of Munster in open battle. But this is a, a perfectly preserved medieval fort. If, you've ever, if you haven't gone down to it, it's quite difficult to find, but if you haven't gone down to it, it's worth going to. It's like walking right back in time down a medieval fort, and it was used during the battle. Um, we have to consider how they've changed. So, for example, landscape enclosure. Landscapes like Ockram, for example... A lot of the field boundaries that you see on that site today were absolutely fundamentally important to the Jacobite defence of Kilcommodan Hill. They're part of the battlefield. But if you go to Kinsale, a lot of the field enclosures that have been put in post-date the, the site. So you, you, have to be, you have to know what you're, you're looking at. Um, 
Reduction in woodland cover, for example, is important. Um, land improvement, which destroys bogs, particularly in Ireland, where nearly every battle fought in a pass is a pass through a bog. Um, it, it can be very important. What development has happened? Um, and then sites of memory and commemoration um, as well. So that's Scarif Hollis. I think the best memorialisation that I've seen is Nus to Alistair McCullough, where the locals seem to love Alistair McCullough and have this great thing about him being treacherously slain and things like that. They don't seem to be terribly concerned about the Irish who were there. I'm not sure what that's about <laughs> in any event. Um, there's almost a set of rules in relation to battlefields. And people often don't consider this. You very rarely find a battlefield that's not beside a road. Very rarely. For example, if you're looking for a mass grave, it'll very rarely not be beside a road. Uh, it's all about ease of movement. So fords, passes, choke points, strategic locations. This is the 1567 Farce and Moor battlefield, um, which is the, the, the ford um, where uh, O'Neill, the O'Neills and the O'Donnells went at it. Uh, this is a different lecture, but what do they look like? <coughs> There's a lot, to be, a lot of discussion to be had about how we view battlefields in this country versus a comparable country, say, Scotland. Our only battlefield has been preserved. I'm not saying that it was preserved for the wrong reasons, but it was preserved for modern political reasons to do with Northern Ireland. Absolutely none to do with the site itself. Um, this is Old Bridge, the, the, the Port of Geophysics found sites of Old Bridge. If you look at Scotland, sites like Culloden and Bannockburn, which isn't even properly identified, have had colossal investment in them. If you compare that to somewhere like Kinsale or indeed Ockram, it's a very different, interesting um, question as to why we don't value them, um, which we don't. Um, they can be hidden. This is McCroom Golf Course, which is the site of the 1650 Battle of McCroom. Um, they can be disappearing. One of the most important Tudor conflict sites in Europe. Um, and one of the best preserved is fallen into the sea. And if anyone has a few thousand they're looking to spend, go down there. Um, the English Tudor siege lines in Gartnagara here, more or less where this photo is taken, have to be perfectly preserved. And we have the maps of William Winter, who was there, um, which are incredibly accurate. That is an absolutely intact siege site, incredibly rare from the 16th century. Um, and there should be international teams there. And most of that site has fallen into the sea now, doing an itself, obviously dating to 1580. Um, they can be threatened or destroyed. This is Kinsale, where I spent years working. Um, I'm going to spend the last couple of... Do I am I okay for five minutes or so? Yeah, five minutes. Yeah, um, I'm going to spend the last five minutes just looking at Kinsale, and the work we've done there, but um, by approaching sites this way, you can locate things that mean that you change the, the perception. For any of you who know Kinsale, local tradition holds it to the Battle of Kinsale was fought at the base of this hill, where they have a stone chair and where you're not allowed to do anything. Uh, our work identified an English camp, the key English, uh, a key English camp on the site where this photograph was taken, which allowed us, once we had that nailed down, to look at the primary accounts again, where the English say we advanced for a mile across a plain, crossing two streams, right? You can't fight the battle at the base of this hill and do that, but you can fight it here, which is the Eli Lilly Pharmaceutical Factory in Dundero, which uh, has almost, well, without really any doubt, destroyed the vast bulk of the battlefield of Kinsale, um, because we didn't know where it was. The locals don't agree with us on this. Um, but... Just to give you an idea, uh, using Kinsale um, for a couple of minutes as an example of how you, how you can find out more by visualising these sites in this way. Um, I, have, I presume most of you have seen this painting, In the Flesh. It's a, 
I think it's the best painting in the country. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Battling and Sail in Trinity. Um, um, well, absolutely, definitely painted by somebody who was physically at the, the siege of Kinsale. Uh, its accuracy is phenomenal. We've overlaid it on contemporary maps, and it, it's, it's, it's quite, quite incredible. But just to show you, uh, with a couple of quick examples, it can be very easy. This is ridiculously easy. This is a primary, this is Lord Deputy Privy Council, October 1601. The army rose and marched in a half mile of Kinsale, encamping under a hill called Knock Robin. Well, that's handy out. There's Knock Robin Hill. <laughs> so we know where it is. Um, this is where they first encamped here. They used Brown's Mills here to take in all their men and supplies during the course of the siege. And the English main siege camp is on the right of this Camp Hill, uh, where Mountjoy had his turf hut. Um, we can use cartographic sources. So we fortified the foresaid camp on the west or southwest, uh, where the Earl of Thomond lay with four regiments. Uh, this is the site that is the key to locating the battlefield. It was because they referenced this camp on the day of the battle. This is the modern discovery series road network. See the road here with the high ground? And this is the Trinity map painting with the road and the high ground. Like there is no question of that camp's location. Um, reading the landscape then um, and looking at things like archaeology. This is uh, the Earl of Thoman's second camp. Sorry, that was his first camp. And we can see from this that it's shown with a ring fort. And the English talk about using rats in place of advantage during the siege. And Dr. Daphne Putchin Mould in the 1960s did aerial survey work. You're not going to be able to see it. But here is a ring fort. It's up the very top of that hill. You can see where the Spaniards called can sail the pit. The English were up on the top of that hill. And we metal detected across the road from where that ring fort was and we found um, Elizabethan English um, lead shot. Um, that's an artist's reconstruction of how they used it uh, in comparison. Most of this area was unfortunately developed in the last six months with very little archaeological work undertaken. Um, the main thing we've done is the main uh, Lord Deputy's camp, the hill called the Spittle, more than a musket shot away. It's that entire hill uh, on the right-hand side. This was not protected now until about a year ago, this site. It's one of the most important archaeological sites in Ireland. We did a detection survey up there for a few hours. We found 20 English-led shot. My colleague Paul O'Keefe has used LIDAR data where you can map the vast extent of the camp. It's bigger than the walled city of Derry, the main English camp. This is a town where people lived for three months, and it wasn't archaeologically protected. It has a modicum of protection now. Um, that's the camp. We've had geophysics done across portions of it. The geophysicists said the only comparable ditches they've ever found um, are on the Black Pig's Dyke, which is that huge um, Iron Age defensive um, ditch. They're colossal banks and ditches. Uh, and having said that the can say it wasn't enclosed, actually a lot of the field boundaries around here are part of the main English camp. That They just left them in the farmer's fields because it was such a massive construction. Uh, all right, so when we've identified all of those camps, you can see the size of the English main English camp up on the right-hand side over the Cork Road in relation to the town there. Uh, absolutely massive archaeology. Um, but anyway, uh, just that's the potential of it. Um, the future, um, the, the study, the Battlefields Project is moving forward to publication, and we're working on 1798 at the moment, so that should be published soon, and it'll then work back. The sites have, by and large, not been placed in the, into the planning process of yet, some of them have archaeological protection. So most of Kinsale is protected, for example. A lot of the Cork ones are. It's more or less if a county is interested in it. There isn't, doesn't seem to be a huge desire 
to throw these areas into the planning process at the moment, but hopefully that changes. Um, hopefully we'll also see general archaeological strategies destroy battlefields without finding them. They destroy military sites without finding them. There has to be an absolute fundamental change in the way archaeology is conducted on these sites when it's being carried out commercially. Um, and obviously I think the whole management issue is one that we have to address as, as a country as to why we, we are one of the worst in relation to how we view our, 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 our battle sites. Um, uh, okay, and I'll leave it at that. Thanks, William. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.